Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan and welcome to season five, guys. This is our premiere of season five, which is just incredible that we've even done this many seasons, Mark. I'm impressed with us. I know, I'm shocked. I can't believe it. So we've done well over 100 episodes now. We Um, have. We were hoping to have had some new theme music and photos and stuff, but I think with everything that's going on, uh, it's probably going to be uh, another few weeks or a couple of months before we've got that. But um, but yeah, we are back for season five. Cannot believe we're here. Well over 100 episodes. We've had well over a million downloads. Um, so yeah, it's weird really, but we're still loving doing it and um, finding out about different crimes and, and telling you the stories and bringing those to your attention as well. And so many of you, we were literally just looking through Instagram, weren't we? And so many of you have been in touch with us. We literally get probably. I don't know, 50 messages a week. Um, and we try and respond to every single person. But yeah, we're so grateful when people do get in touch and let us know what they think of an episode or um, their thoughts on a particular show. So please continue to do that. And um, yeah, we love interacting with you. And we also love interacting with you on Patreon as well. So um, I wanted to give a huge thank you to the following people who have very recently signed up on Patreon. Um, so these are new people to our club. We've got Lauren Maris. We've got Harry, who I know listens to us on his way to work in London. Thank you so much, Harry. We've also got Samantha Green. We've got Laura McNamee, Emily Tolbert. We've got Hannah, Bernadine Clayton-Smith, Alice Camp, who, of course, was our competition winner. She's just increased her pledge. Yep, well done, Alice. Uh, We've also got Emily Arbutnot. I've probably not pronounced that correctly, uh, but thank you so much. And then we've also got Jill Ostro and Kelly Quincy who have signed up annually, which anybody can do. So whether you're an existing patron uh, or you're looking to come to us and support us on Patreon, uh, you can sign up annually and you do get a bit of a discount as well. And lots and lots of you, I, I didn't think we'd have as many people as we have had sign up annually. So thank you so much to all of those people. Thank you also to all of our existing patrons. We're going to have loads of exciting stuff for you in 2021. We're going to continue with bonus episodes on the last Friday of every month. And just on that note, you can listen to those episodes through your existing podcast app. So all you need to do is copy your private RSS feed over to your app and you can listen to it. Alternatively, if that doesn't work for you, most podcast platforms support that. But if that doesn't work, then you can download the Patreon app and listen to them through there. Um, But that's just part of what we offer through Patreon. It's not just bonus episodes every month. It's also uh, merchandise that we send out to our $5 plus tiers. Uh, We've got signed scripts. We do giveaways. We do blog posts, all sorts of stuff going on. And we're so, so grateful for everybody who takes the time to sign up and um, throws some of their hard-earned cash our way. And if you fancied signing up for Patreon as well, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. You've also got a little bit of time if you're a Patreon supporter, you will have had an email through about discount on merchandise. So if you wanted to get some merchandise with your Patreon discount, you have uh, when this episode comes out about a week left to do it. So let me know if you do want anything. Obviously, it's not going to be in time for Christmas. That's in a couple of days time. It is. Yeah. Exciting times. Yeah. I hope everybody is organised and ready for for the big day in a couple of days. Yeah, Merry Christmas everybody who's listening. 
Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. And if you're listening to this as you drive home for Christmas, then we are here to keep you company for the next hour or so. Uh, so sit back and relax. Make sure you're paying attention as, as you drive. But but yeah, we are here for you, for your entertainment. I heard an advert the other day, actually, that made me laugh so much because it was like, just take some time and close your eyes unless you're driving if you're driving don't do this but close your eyes and imagine you're on a beat and I was just like that made me laugh so much because they were like don't do this if you're driving we also wanted to do a quick shout out to Eve and Corinne as well who got in touch on Instagram so hi girls thank you for getting in touch and feel free to send baked goods to us because we do love cake yeah not gonna lie um cool so it's Bethan's turn uh Bethan has the season premiere for season five um and I recognize the name I think a lot of you will recognize the name too uh we, we've talked about this guy haven't we a little bit over the seasons uh he is involved in quite a few cases that we featured and also our very first case John Palmer he featured in that one I know and that's what I quite liked the um I don't know like the symbolism of him being in our first ever episode and then also the first episode of season five I'm sure you'll come on to it but has he been released well let's just wait until I finish my episode all right okay shut up Mark (laughs) yeah fine but I just thought why not cover him in his very own episode because we mention him like you said we mention him all the time so let's let's give him his own show yeah Definitely, but I don't, he doesn't deserve it. But he doesn't deserve it whatsoever. No, but he could. You could probably dedicate a whole season to this guy. Um, the amount of crimes he's been involved in. Yeah, and I think it would be really interesting to know a lot more about him specifically because we do mention him in passing, and I think sometimes it's easy to just kind of go, "Oh, okay," and not realise what he did. That so is there's true. some things in here that were quite a shock to me, actually. Yeah, that's so true. We do mention him a lot, and we we don't really know where he came from. Um, so you guys are probably all thinking, who the fuck are you on about? Because we've held you in suspense <laughs> for this long. So uh, take it away, Bethan. So I'm going to be telling you about Kenneth Noy. He was born in Bexley Heath, London, on the 24th of May 1947. His dad was an engineer and ran a local post office, and his mum worked at a dog racing track. The family were quite traditional for the time, so reportedly a close-knit, church-going family. At five, Noy's mum caught him taking money from the till at a branch of Woolworths while she was talking to a shop assistant at five years old. But she just wouldn't think badly of him, her son that she called her Little Kenny. But Kenny was not a nice boy. At the age of 11, while Noy was a pupil at Bexley Heath Boys Secondary Modern School, he ran a protection racket among fellow pupils, terrorising them with bullying. So he kept himself out of trouble with the teachers and he worked really hard not to get their attention, but amongst his peers he was a formidable sight. His distinctive broken nose made him look tough, but I really doubt he was open with the other kids because the fact is it had happened when he fell trying to steal apples from a neighbour's tree at the age of three. God, so he was he was kind of on it on the fringes of the criminal fraternity from the age of three stealing apples but I bet (laughs) I bet at school he was like I've been in a fight and this is why I've got broken nose yeah exactly and one of his fellow pupils later recalled how Noy reveled in violence saying he was vile he didn't give a damn who he hurt but everyone knew Kenny and he had a knack of getting away with blue murder 
So he left school at 15 and then spent a year in Borstal for selling stolen bicycles. He would change their appearance and then resell them. And he was soon attracting the attention of the police for receiving stolen goods, shoplifting, even smuggling beef carcasses. It was while waiting in legal chambers for one of his many crimes that Noy met Brenda Tremaine, who was working as a legal secretary. The couple got married on the 12th of September 1970, and they have two sons, Kevin and Brett. And then Noy became a police informant, so he had begun a connection with corrupt officers by the time he was arrested for receiving stolen goods in 1977, and he had a good relationship with numerous officers. So a good relationship for him, not necessarily a good relationship in general. His tip-offs to the Metropolitan Police's flying squad really were only so he could get rid of all of the competition. That kind of makes sense though, doesn't it? Yeah, isn't that amazing? It's quite a good idea. It kind of makes sense, yeah. I think he was obviously quite a clever guy. Just used his wits in the wrong way. Yeah, and the police don't really care because they're getting to lock up hardened criminals, people that they have on their hit list, so to speak. Exactly. Noy became a Freemason in January 1980. He became a member of the Hammersmith Lodge in London after being proposed for admission by two police officers, and at the time he gave his occupation as builder. And on the surface, Noy had normal business activities. He dealt in cars, property and timeshares. He ran a legitimate haulage business. But behind this legitimate front, he was running an elaborate fraud network. He invested in drug smuggling and robberies, insurance scams and swindles. And this network not only operated within Britain, but also in Eastern Europe, the United States, Latin America, Spain and Cyprus. He had links with all sorts of people, from the Mafia to Azil Nadir, who was jailed for 10 years in August 2012 for stealing millions from his business empire. I think what what really fascinates me is that he was a member of the Freemasons because we know so little about that organisation, don't we? And there's so many rumours surrounding the Freemasons and who's involved and how they help each other. So people have even said Jerry McCann is a Freemason and the people that say that he and Kate murdered Maddie say that they've been able to get away with it because of his links through the Freemasonry. But we just know nothing about this organisation and it's huge it's in britain as far as i know it's not it's not international but it's a huge organization a network of men from all different professions yeah and i think it's interesting as well because they do seem to do things for charity and stuff so you just don't know yeah like you said you just don't know anything about them and the truth of what they're doing or hmm and the fact that noi is involved in the with the freemasons or was is like a massive red flag to me well, apparently they then kicked him out when they found out he had a criminal record. So that's what the the reports are. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. But it, it for me, that seemed to scream they didn't approve of, of some of his bad behaviour. So I don't know. It's, it's so intriguing. And we'll never know much about them because it's so secretive. Yeah. I need to become a member, don't I? I think this is what you need to do. But you're going to have to change your name or something because otherwise they'll find this and they'll know why. <laughs> Noy would regularly go to the Hilltop Hotel near his home where people like the Craze, 
the Haywards, Frankie Fraser and others would gather. He built up a reputation as a fence who could shift anything and as an armourer who could provide guns. He became really interested in gold, realising the potential that it held for profit. And he had a cousin who worked for the Bank of England who he asked about how gold was traded. So soon he was into VAT fraud on gold importation, which had the double advantage of enormous profits and a maximum sentence of just two years in prison. Noy was doing really well for himself. One deal he made was when he flew to Miami, invested £50,000 in land and then made himself and his associates £600,000 in profits. He smuggled gold in from Africa, Kuwait and Brazil. Between 1982 and 1984, this operation netted £35 and Noy's own personal cut was over £4,000,000. Noy loved money and he loved the lavish lifestyle that he was able to have due to the money. He had a really big home, he bought loads of expensive items of jewellery, clothing and cars. He even bought his wife Brenda a squash club, but he also had numerous mistresses. Despite his millions, he illicitly extracted electricity for his house and even stole a piece of garden furniture from his 94-year-old neighbour. So clearly just being naughty had its own draw for little Kenny. It's kind of like he just couldn't, he couldn't give up that side of him. Even though he'd made all that money, he didn't need to behave like that. He was just drawn to that, wasn't he? That kind of way of life. Yeah, and I guess it's how the rich stay rich is without having to spend all their money. So maybe he was kind of like, well, I need to keep all of this, so I'm going to go steal electricity. (laughs) One of the main crimes that Kenneth Noy is infamous for was the Brinks map robbery, which we did discuss back in our first ever episode. So early on the 26th of November 1983, six robbers broke into the Brinks map warehouse in Unit 7 of the Heathrow International Trading Estate. Described as the crime of the century, the robbers gained entry thanks to the help of the security guard and then they proceeded to threaten the staff members into handing over the combinations for the vaults. They poured petrol over the staff and then threatened them with a lit match. That well, I'm sure we've come across that before, not necessarily even that that in relation to that crime, but we've come across um, other cases we've covered where they've covered somebody in petrol and threatened to set them alight. And it's just, that is your worst nightmare, isn't it? It's absolutely terrifying. The actual fear of uh, knowing that you could literally combust into flames and, and burn to death. I just, I can't imagine that level of fear. It's just horrendous, isn't it? And for these people who are just absolutely terrified and then to have that additional because you'd be scared enough anyway wouldn't you you would yeah i do know of somebody actually who that happened to i won't go into any more details but yeah i know i know somebody that that had that exact thing happen to them you yeah, know, no, you'll I know, know as you well. mean, yeah, yeah i know yeah. and it reminded me a little of my episode when we were back in season three and i talked about evelyn foster who was the taxi driver in the 20s or 30s I can't remember but she was set on fire in her car and it was well her car was set on fire but she'd had something poured on her and you just think that that feeling of Christ what is it and then to be a flame is just horrendous yeah so the robbers initially thought that they were going to steal 3.2 million pounds worth of cash but they had hit the jackpot and ultimately they stole 26 million pounds worth of gold, diamonds and cash. In 2019 money, this is the equivalent of 100 million pounds. 
The discovery of the bullion really surprised the gang because they had no experience of dealing with gold. So this gang included notorious London underworld figures Little Legs Lloyd, Mickey McAvoy and Brian Robinson, who were all essentially robbers and they just didn't know how to shift this huge amount of loot. Little Legs Lloyd. It's just so cockney, isn't it? It's incredible, You couldn't get more London. Yeah. After I wrote this script, I kept calling the baby Little Legs. I kept on being like, come here, Little Legs. <laughs> it's I love just it. such a good She's name. She's going to be a criminal, Bethan. She's going to oh, be a criminal. Oh, no, don't. Mickey McAvoy had asked Brian Perry to conceal the gold that he'd received, and Perry brought in Noy and John Palmer. Noy melted down the bullion and recast it for sale, mixing in copper coins to disguise the source. However, this sudden movement of large amounts of money through a Bristol bank came to the notice of Bank of England, which informed the police, and the home of John Palmer was raided. He said he was unaware that the gold was linked to the robbery. And, spoiler alert, if you haven't listened to Season 1, Episode 1, he was actually cleared of all charges. In December 1984, Mickey McAvoy was sentenced to 25 years imprisonment for armed robbery, The security guard, Anthony Black, who was their inside man, was sentenced to six years. Much of the three tons of stolen gold has never been recovered, and the four other robbers weren't actually ever convicted. Noy was placed under police surveillance. In the grounds of his luxurious home, where he was once even spotted walking a lion on a lead, I just loved that, the police attempted to investigate secretly. In January 1985, a pair of undercover cops crept into the vast garden, but they were quickly surrounded by three snarling Rottweilers and the commotion alerted Kenneth Noy, who rushed out armed with a knife. One of the pair of undercover police officers, Neil Murphy, made an escape over the wall, but DC John Fordham was not so lucky. After sustaining ten stab wounds, one of which was with such force that the blade severed his rib clean in two, He was rushed to hospital. He died not long after. That really, I mean, that is such brutal force, isn't it? Yeah. And a really bloody sharp knife to literally Mm -hmm. penetrate bone. Yeah. The other officer, the um, officer Neil Murphy, who'd managed to escape, said he tried to distract Noy. He was yelling and yelling, but he just wouldn't stop. And he also had a gun shouting, I will blow your head off. And the way he described it was just like Noy was just in such a frenzy that nothing was going to stop him. Yeah, because I, I really would have believed that as well. Yeah. That he would blow his head off and you would have believed that from Noy. So he told the court at the trial that he was alerted by his Rottweilers to intruders in his garden and he had reacted in fear and anger. His defence team persuaded the jury at the resulting trial that he acted in self-defence, so he was cleared of all charges. But he wasn't so lucky when it came to the Brinks Matt robbery part of the investigation. A search of his home uncovered 11 bars of gold and the copper coins used in smelting. The police also found a Guinness Book of Records with the entry on the robbery circled, which I just thought was ridiculous. But wouldn't you? You would do that because you'd you'd almost be proud of what you were a you part would, of. You would, yeah. I, I kind of understand it, and I, I kind of I didn't know that it was featured in the Guinness Book of Records, but I loved that it was. Yeah, and then Noy offered one of the officers who interviewed him after his arrest a million pounds to ensure he didn't go to prison, <laughs> but the detective declined and reported the conversation. So he was then tried alongside the other six for the Brinks Matt job, and in 1986, Noy was found guilty of conspiracy to handle the Brinks Matt gold. 
he was sentenced to 14 years and fined £500,000 with £200,000 costs. In his rage at hearing the verdict, Noy turned to the jury and told them, I hope you die of cancer. Charming. I remember I remember that. I remember hearing that. I've read it or, or maybe we've talked about it, but that just kind of sums him up, doesn't it? And interestingly, this was before the Proceeds of Crime Act came into force. So although he was fined half a million pounds and £200,000 in costs, there would have been millions and millions of pounds tied up in property, in bank accounts that the police and the CPS couldn't touch. It, it was still his when he was released from prison. Exactly. He was forced to return nearly three million pounds of his proceeds and that was in return for no claims being made against his house and basically we wanted to protect his wife that she could still live there. So wow. he agreed to pay it as cash or money um, and assets rather than his home, which I thought but was that really would still him. that would still be a drop in the ocean to him. It'd be nothing to him, would it? That one job he got four million from. Yeah, exactly. Naturally, Noy ensured he built up a team of associates in prison, befriending prison officers, manipulating the system and enjoying his job as a gym orderly. In fact, there's an anecdote that he was so friendly with two of the prison officers that when they were escorting one of Noy's friends to a weightlifting competition some years later after his release, they actually stopped to visit him and he treated them to a meal out. Bloody hell. Yeah. Thought that was quite nice of him. It was just really unprofessional it's so bad isn't it yeah um, and, and this is just like the theme the police officers he was in with the prison guards it's just yeah. crazy I, I i love how i'm just like it's unprofessional like fuck the fact that he's obviously got these people kind of on the payroll and and that's the least of the issues that they're unprofessional because <laughs> they're probably helping him facilitate various scams and crimes and all sorts of stuff, I would have thought. He wanted to keep them sweet for a reason. Definitely. And Noy didn't serve his whole sentence. He was released from prison in 1994, having served eight years. While he was in prison, he had decided to go into a new angle of business, this time with drugs. So he came out of prison and rejoined his empire, which continued to flourish. He had even joined a deal as he was finishing his time a £50,000 cocaine deal with the Miami Mafia. He was almost caught, but managed to avoid arrest thanks to a tip-off from a corrupt officer in the National Crime Intelligence Service, another corrupt official. And Noy's new prison associates were useful, and he had some great connections for his new drug business. Another kind of link to an episode of ours is that he was involved as an investor for a £30,000 ecstasy deal, and police claim that ecstasy from part of this batch was what led to the death of teenager Leah Betts. So we discussed her death in our Rettenden episode at the beginning of season four. Um, and he was actually involved in that deal. That's so interesting. We, we've come really full circle because that was the season premiere um, of season four, wasn't it? So yeah. I had. Do we I need had to no... mention Noy in every season premiere now from now on? I think yeah, we yeah we've set that tradition. Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know that he was involved in that. That is really interesting, and that's interesting because obviously the the Essex Boys murder, it's sometimes referred to, or the Rettenden murders, um, same thing. But there was a lot of talk that those um, drug dealers were murdered to avenge Leah Betts's death, and. Um, 
Um, yeah, I wonder if uh, if Noy. Well, we don't know. Noy could have been responsible for their murder, or yeah, he could have been a close second to being murdered himself for his involvement in that. I don't think it would have been that he had ordered that because the guy that had encouraged him to join in his deal was actually his friend and that was Pat Tate and he was shot dead so I feel like if potentially like you said Noy may well have been the next to have lost his life and he made £70,000 worth of profit from that deal whether or not people saw that he was close enough to Leah's death I don't know if if it was an avenge for her death I'm not sure but really really interesting that it was kind of a link to another case that we've covered I kind of feel with Noy, because he's quite high, I reckon he would have been quite high up the chain. So I I doubt he was involved on a day-to-day basis of like the selling of drugs or even the distribution within the UK around like county lines. I think it would have been importing it from Amsterdam or wherever. Or even just investing. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah. That is such a fascinating episode, though, The Rettenden Murders. So as Bethan said, season four, episode one, um, it was actually written by a friend of the show, Elliot Caddy, um, from Camino Digital Marketing. So he does a lot of copywriting services and we've used him uh, for, for writing some of our episodes. But um, fascinating episode, fascinating case. Uh, do go back and listen to that if you've not already listened to it. Definitely. So Pat Tate, the, the friend... Um, was shot dead along with two other men in a Range Rover in a secluded country lane in December 1995. And it's just such an interesting mystery. So yeah, as Mark said, do go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already listened to it. Or maybe just treat yourself and have another little listen. Yeah, it's a Christmas type episode. Um, there are some awful photos online as well. You don't, you don't have to do any digging. Oh yeah, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, just as we did some kind of loose research to familiarize ourselves with the case, even though Elliot did the script, we had a look at it. It's not difficult to, to see really horrific images of, uh, the three men slumped over in the Range Rover with horrific injuries. None of it's blurred out. It was really shocking, wasn't it? Mm. Another deal for Noi was importing cat into the country from Africa. So not cats, Mark, <laughs> cat, which is a stimulant drug. Yeah, we're not talking about a wet oh ass pussy. Oh my God, that <laughs> song is horrendous. I know, isn't it horrific? Oh we're my talking goodness. about actual cat. I have heard of cat. It's, yeah, it's like an African plant, isn't it? That's, that's yeah. grown there and that I think they chew it and they get high from it. We should try that, Beth, and we should give it a pop. Um, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll I'll source some. I'll get (laughs) some and we'll give it a go, yeah. Incredible. So, yeah, it's a stimulant drug, which means it speeds up the messages going between the brain and the body. And as you said, it is something you chew. It's part of social traditions in parts of the Middle East, such as Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and in Eastern Africa, such as Somalia. And in northern Cyprus, with Azil Nadir, Noi imported £500,000 worth of the drug into the country. And another one that Noy got involved in was a plot to scam a billion pounds from cash machines. So this was led by Little Legs, the associate I mentioned earlier. And Noy put money into the venture, but it folded. Luckily, Noy wasn't charged as there wasn't enough evidence to convict him. But the other members of the gang involved were sentenced to prison. An anecdote around this scam is that Noy threw a party to celebrate the start of the operation. He hired rooms in a hotel and six high-class sex workers and boasted later that he had gone to bed with each of them. 
Oh, God. And I bet he had as well. Mm-hmm. And I bet there was like a high amount of Class A drugs consumed there. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting, though. I wonder how, I wonder what the logistics were around that scam. So they were looking to steal a billion pounds from cash machines. How? Like, would that have just been a, a number of coordinated raids on them where they, because I've seen people use like forklift trucks to literally mm-hmm. pick up the ATM out of the wall and take it away. And actually that can work and has worked. Or I wonder if it was a more sophisticated scam behind the scenes. That's really interesting. I'll have to have a little look into yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting as well that the police were obviously so on to them that they caught them before they could even start. Yeah. Which was really interesting. On the 19th of May 1996, while on release from prison on licence, Kenneth Noy was out driving his Land Rover. He had made his way along the B2173 before joining the A20 and approached the interchange roundabout where the M20 meets the M25. Also out and about were Danielle Cable and her fiancé Stephen Cameron. Danielle wasn't used to driving her partner's Bedford Rascal and on their trip to buy bagels, she had a minor incident with another road user. Tragically for the pair, the car in question was the Land Rover driven by Kenneth Noy, who overreacted majorly to what was, for most people, a really insignificant accident. So Danielle was behind the wheel of Stephen's red van when it almost collided with Noy's Land Rover on a slip road. Noy got out of his vehicle at the traffic lights and he punched six foot four tall Stephen in the eye. Stephen retaliated by kicking him and a fight ensued. And when the younger man began to get the better of Noy, he marched back to his car where he grabbed a knife and returned. Stabbing Stephen twice as Danielle looked on in horror, Noy delivered fatal blows. Desperately trying to kick the knife away, Stephen wasn't able to evade the attack. The first wound went in at a depth of 16 centimetres and penetrated Stephen's heart. And the second wound went to a depth of 18 centimetres and penetrated his liver. Stephen stumbled towards Danielle, clutching his chest where blood was pouring out, pleading with her, He stabbed me, Dan. Take his number plate. Danielle begged shocked onlookers for help, whilst Noy calmly headed back to his car and he smirked as he drove off on the M25 towards Dartford, leaving Stephen dying on the roadside. And that's kind of loads of witness statements have said that he just had like a smile on his face or a smirk or a grin. And it, it just kind of, to me, sums him up. Like, he's just done it and off he goes. He just doesn't give a shit and it's horrendous. And it, it's the calm nature that he goes he goes to his car to get the knife to then stab Stephen. And then when he's done that and he's clearly killed him, um, he just calmly walks back to his, his Land Rover and, and goes. And that would have just been horrific wounds for Stephen because it penetrated his heart blood would have literally been spurting out of his body. And you just think as well, like, potentially there's a road rage incident and you have a knife in your pocket or something. You can almost understand it more, but he realises that he's losing the fight, so he just goes and gets that to win. And I just think that is so cold. Yeah, because it's all for him, it's all about not wanting to lose face. So it's like, I don't want this guy getting the better of me. I yeah. can't I can't let him win and have my pride dented and I'm not going to win with my fists. So I'm going to have to get a knife and, and murder him. Yeah. In broad daylight. 
on With a slip road to a motorway. Just watching, yeah. Yeah, just didn't give a fuck at all. Within minutes of the murder, Noyce set about covering his tracks and fleeing the country. He made several calls from his mobile phone to associates and his wife Brenda, and arrangements were swiftly made to fly him out of the country by helicopter to France and then by private jet to Madrid in Spain before another trip to the south of the country. Noy left the UK carrying a briefcase full of cash and one of the private jets was actually provided to him by John Palmer. Police initially named the man they wanted to question in connection with the murder as Anthony Francis, a false identity used by Kenneth Noy and his real name was found by the police after a vehicle registered in his name was discovered to have been unloaded in Kyrenia, Cyprus in July. So the vehicle was a Land Rover discovery which actually matched that description of the vehicle driven by the man who had fatally stabbed Stephen Cameron. And it was there was quite a lot about where he'd managed to register it with someone else. And I think maybe the guy, Anthony Francis, I think it was a real person and he'd actually asked him to store the car for him. Or potentially it was his friend who had the car, but Anthony Francis was still a fake name. But either way, there was a lot for the police to try and uncover there. Um, and it did take quite a while for them. Noy's luck then continued, so he wasn't found in Cyprus, and due to Kyrenia's location in the Turkish-occupied northern part of the country, Britain didn't have extradition treaties in place that would have allowed Noy to be extradited back to Britain if he had even been tracked down. Which he must have known about. That That's the yeah. reason, I guess, why he went there, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Detectives finally tracked him to his hideout in Spain in August 1998 and the police then flew Danielle Cable out with a police escort. On the 27th of August 1998, she identified him, um, like secretly, they kind of snuck around and were peeking through and he was sat in a restaurant. The bravery of her to go out there and do that is just incredible, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because I don't know if you go on to talk about it, but she was um, put in the witness protection programme, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah, she was amazing though. For for Stephen's memory, she's done so much. So Noy was arrested the following day and he lost an appeal against his extradition from Spain seven months later and was finally extradited to Britain in May 1999, nine months after his arrest and he went on trial ten months later. So Noy admitted finally that he had stabbed Mr Cameron, although he denied being the second driver during the extradition proceedings. So he'd kept on lying and and kind of keeping up with it. But at trial, he finally admitted it, although he continued to insist that he was acting in self-defence, even though all of the witnesses showed that he wasn't, you know, he'd thrown the first punch, but he still tried to insist this. The jurors were given escorts throughout the trial The judge, Lord Justice Latham, said, It is, I am afraid, necessary to take these steps just to ensure that there is no problem about people trying to approach you. There are many people who have an interest in this case and its outcome. I have arranged for you to be provided with escorts that will, I am afraid, affect your daily life to some extent. But he insisted that this should not be seen in any way prejudicial to the defendant. And he actually said it is absolutely vital that Mr Noy is given a fair trial. So I thought that was really interesting. He's kind of doing it from both sides. He's doing it from their safety, but also so that nobody can say that this trial was in any way, um, like anything happened at all for this trial, which I thought was really, really good. But it's um, I do understand it because if you're providing police escorts for the 
for every single member of the jury that is kind of um, saying about Noy that we kind of are worried that he's going to try and get to the jury. Yeah, there's and it's a risk a re- here. Yeah, it's a real mark on his character. So, um, yeah, the judge has got to be very careful to kind of say, look, we are doing that, but you shouldn't see that as detrimental to mm-hmm. to Noy's character. It's just something we're having to do. Because I suppose there would have been a lot of associates of Noy, as the judge has alluded to, that have got an interest in the outcome of that case. And it might not have even been Noy or... Um, people that were working for him that might have gone for that jury. It might have been other people for their own ends, their own reasons. Exactly. And even, you know, to set him up for something. So you just don't know. And as we mentioned before, despite the risks involved, Danielle Cable opted to testify against Noy. Her testimony has been described as moving. She was described in the press as brave and courageous. And you can read her, um, like the transcripts of her testimony, and it is just incredible. Reading it is just, it's just so emotional. During his trial, Noy claimed not to be a violent man. Once again, he pleaded self-defence, explaining he is only retaliating to the other man, and that the only reason he'd fled was because the police hated him, and he feared not receiving a fair trial. But luckily, the courts saw through all of this, and he was found guilty on the 14th of April, 2000. The jury deliberated for eight hours and 21 minutes before they gave their majority verdict of 11 to 1. And Noy was given a life sentence by Lord Justice Latham. He didn't make any recommendation in open court as to the tariff for how long Noy should serve, but made the written report to the Lord Chief Justice and the Home Secretary recommending a tariff of 16 years. And then in 2002, the then Home Secretary, David Blunkett, set the tariff before Noy may apply for parole at 16 years as recommended. Despite evidence of all his wealth, Noy was actually awarded legal aid, amounting to £250,000 for his defence at the trial, and he also received financial support for his initial appeals. That really shocked me to see about that. I I wonder if that's almost like two fingers up at um, the taxpayer or the CPS, I don't know, to just kind of say, well, I can, I am entitled to legal aid and I'm going to use it and screw you. You know, I've got the money to pay for it, but why should I use that money when I can use your money? Exactly. So Danielle Cable did choose to go into witness protection following her testimony. She changed her name and she doesn't get to see her family nearly enough. So literally seeing her mum twice a year and she still to this day lives in fear Only some police forces run dedicated witness support schemes and in the UK schemes are governed on a quite informal basis so unlike in countries such as the United States where there's a formal protection programme because of the cost and the complexity of the scheme as well as the upheaval to the witnesses police only resort to this in really extreme cases. Individuals living under the scheme essentially trade in their old life for a new one so this means packing up, moving house and changing your identity. Danielle was just given a few minutes to pack her bags and leave her old home and she actually said to the press I have lost twice I've lost Stephen and I've lost my old life I haven't seen two of my brothers since I was relocated and I didn't see my mum for four months but at least Danielle is safe there's another witness Alan Deckerbrawl who declined protection after the trial he was shot dead in his car in Ashford in Kent on the 5th of October 2000 Before he made it to the witness stand, Mr. Deckerbrawl had been ordered by gangsters, in inverted commas, to shut up or we will shut you up. And after the court case, he went into hiding. 
His marriage broke up because of the stress of the ordeal and he continued to suffer intimidation. He became terrified after three bullets were pushed through his letterbox as another warning. And then on the 5th of October, he was found dead, having been shot twice in the head within the sight of hundreds of lunchtime shoppers in Ashford. The police said they have no doubt that Deborah Crawl was killed by a professional hitman, but although Noy was questioned by the police, they concluded that the still unsolved murder had no proven connection with him. Bullshit. I'm shocked. I'm really shocked at that. I, I didn't have a clue about that. And I think. Isn't that awful? Yeah, if you're thinking, what, why did Danielle go into witness protection? Was it really necessary? Then that bloody yeah, tells you is, why. This is it, exactly. Really? Because. There there are some other things about Alan's life and potentially he was in with um, like a drug dealing crowd and stuff, but none of that's a definitive thing and none of that's proven. So um, there's loads of things to Alan's life, but the main thing that had happened to him and then all of this started straight after and around the time of was the trial with Noy. Yeah, it's too so much of a coincidence. It's not no, I totally understand what you're saying, that it, this could have happened anyway because of people that he was involved with, but why had it not happened before and then it happens pretty much straight after the trial and he'd been threatened? That That's just really um, definitely connected, isn't it? Yeah, in my opinion, absolutely. There is a re- there was I, I remember watching it years ago a really good ITV drama about um, Stephen's murder and Danielle Cable going into witness protection. Mm-hmm. I think it was on like maybe early two thousands, and I think what's her name? Uh, she was in Downton Abbey. Uh, yeah, she played she Anna Bates. It, yeah. yeah, she was in it playing Daniel Cable. Did a great job, but it's probably available on YouTube. It might be there. Um, I think it was called Danielle Cable Eyewitness. Um, I'm going to have a look at that, see if I can find it. And yeah, do the same if, if you're interested in this case and learning a bit more about their life and, and Danielle's bravery, then that's definitely one to, to have a look at. Yeah, there was a really interesting article where she talked about the programme and how true it was and that side of things. And I always think that that's really um, telling of a TV show to have done the right thing um, when the person involved says that it was well done. I think she met Danielle as well as part of the research. I seem to recall reading that. Yeah, She was involved in it, wasn't she? She was, yeah. Absolutely incredible woman to be able to kind of keep going and stand up for herself and I'm so glad that she got witness protection even though it must be so so difficult for her she has to um like go and use a random phone to call her mum and like never pre-arranged times and stuff like that and it's she's just literally living the rest of her life looking over her shoulder which is no life whatsoever but but she's doing all that so that she could have got justice for Stephen and I just think how incredible I really hope that she's managed to find some stability and maybe meet a new partner and and maybe have a family. I really hope that's been the case, but I kind of suspect with the trauma that she's been through, I, I suspect that might not be the case. And on the 13th of February 2015, BBC News reported that Noy had been granted a parole hearing. So the parole board recommended that he was moved to an open prison, but this was refused. Around March 2018, Noy was moved to HM Prison Stamford Hill on the Isle of Sheppey, which is a low security prison with a day release provision for prisoners. And then finally, in May 2019, the parole board announced that Noy was suitable for return to the community and would be released from prison within about three months. 
On the 6th of June 2019, then aged 72, Noy was released from prison and he hasn't kept a particularly low profile. He's been spotted and photographed on numerous occasions by the press and one article even showed he's continuing to drive around in the area where he murdered Stephen all those years ago and people think it's I kind of get it and I kind of don't, but people think it's in really bad taste because he'll literally be like smiling at people as he's driving up to that roundabout and onto the slip road. And he, and they kind of like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's smirking as he's driving up, knowing that's the area. And part of me is kind of like, that's probably the only way you can drive to the A20 or something. But most of me does agree. I reckon he's doing that on purpose just to meet, make them all remember him and to have like a bit of the last laugh i just feel like he's that sort of person yeah because he he is quite famous actually or infamous but but a lot of people in this country would know his face um because he's been featured heavily in the press over the last 20 or 30 years so so certainly people that that live in that area would know him so i suppose it, it could almost be him um wielding his authority and saying i'm still a threat um and i'm still a dangerous man just to get that respect i don't know yeah that's how it feels to me i might be completely yeah. wrong but it, like you yeah. say it might not be it might just be that he's driving to the supermarket and that's the most direct route for him to go but it just seems yeah it just seems so so bizarre that you would then almost be returning to the scene of the crime on numerous occasions and and just smiling out the side of your car at people. I don't smile while I'm driving anyway, and I haven't murdered someone, so who knows? Well, exactly, yeah. So it is suspicious. He um, He's one of the most notorious criminals in, in this country's mm-hmm. more recent history. And it like it almost scares me a bit that he's been released and that we, we're covering him and talking about him, because you know what he's capable of, but... Uh, we're obviously we're not a big show kind of thing I'm not like that worried but you just sort of think oh god I hope he I don't know doesn't know he that doesn't we've know. covered him yeah definitely. yeah yeah I don't want any bullets through the uh the letterbox the second you get one single threat we stop everything <laughs> we'll, we'll go into witness protection Beth and together oh. uh, in the Cayman Islands somewhere nice oh fun sounds good well, we can still do the show then if we're together can't we that's such a good point cool done yeah Cool. Great. Well done, Beth. And that was um, probably well overdue, actually, uh, a deep dive into the life and crimes of Kenneth Noy. So um, absolutely fascinating. And some some other episodes for people to delve back into. So maybe the John Palmer one and also um, the Rettenden murders, both fascinating and slightly linked in uh, with this one. So, so yeah, we are back for another season. That's episode one done. And we'll be back next week. Uh, so just before New Year. And, um, yeah, please get in touch in all the usual ways. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can also get in touch on YouTube. We've got a channel there. So feel free to subscribe. And we often have these episodes accompanied by different photos and stuff. Um, if you'd like to support the show through Patreon, then please, please do have a think about doing it because it makes a huge difference to us. And it means that we can continue to produce the show on a weekly basis. And you can sign up for as little as about two pounds a month or um what's that like three dollars um so yeah do head over there and check it out it's patreon.com slash seeing red podcast thank you so much for joining us again this week guys and we will see you next time bye bye <laughs>